Welcome to the Decode 6 podcast, where we take your questions about carbon and ecosystem services and match them to the experts with the answers. I'm your host, DJ May. Today we're talking gas, enteric methane to be specific. What do we know about enteric methane? And what are our opportunities to improve emissions from livestock production? Our expert with the answers is Dr. Sarah Place, Associate Professor at Colorado State University Agnext. Sarah is an expert in livestock system sustainability with over a decade of experience in academia, industry associations, and private industry. Most recently, Sarah served as the Chief Sustainability Officer at Alanco Animal Health. Prior to Alanco, she was the Senior Director for Sustainable Beef Production Research at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association and an Assistant Professor in Sustainable Beef Cattle Systems at Oklahoma State University. She received her PhD in Animal Biology from the University of California, Davis, and a BS in Animal Science from Cornell University. Sarah is a native of upstate New York, where she grew up on a dairy farm. She's no stranger to enteric emissions, and she's a great person to talk about this today. Sarah, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. We're going to dive right into this. So what is enteric methane? Yeah, so enteric methane is methane that's naturally produced from the gut of animals, right? So that's what that word enteric means. Um, And primarily where it's coming from, from a farm animal perspective, is ruminant animals. So cattle, sheep, goats are all of our domesticated livestock species that are ruminants. And so they have this large component of their stomach that we call the forestomach that has the rumen, reticulum, omasum all together. And the main takeaway is like that forestomach has trillions of microbes in it. And so when cattle, for example, eat feed, eat grass, um, it goes to that forestomach and there's a whole bunch of fermentation processes that take place. As a byproduct of that fermentation, there's a little group of rumen microbes called methanogens and they actually make methane from the end products of fermentation. So basically those little methanogens are part of the ecosystem that lives within the gut of especially ruminant animals. Enteric methane from non-ruminants is fairly minor. So ruminant animals, again, cattle, sheep, goats for domestic animals. Giraffes, for example, are a wild ruminant, deer, bison. Um, There's other ruminants as well. But for our livestock species, it's mainly um, cattle, sheep, and goats. Okay. So essentially it's like you have your cattle, sheep, goats eating grass, and then it's really not their fault. It's the microbes that are causing the methane. Yeah, yeah, it's actually not the the animals themselves that are making it. It's the little, uh, you could say, the little freeloaders that live inside them, right? They have that symbiotic relationship with those microbes. Uh, the animals get a lot from those microbes, and the microbes get a lot from the animals. But part of that whole process is methane production. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So tell me more about methane. How does it compare to like? I know we're very familiar with like carbon dioxide as a greenhouse gas, but where does methane land? Yeah. So. Um, carbon dioxide is, of course, the most important greenhouse gas, but methane is basically number two in terms of total contribution to the warming that we've observed thus far. Um, and methane is potent in terms of its heat trapping ability, right? So that greenhouse effect is those gases go into the atmosphere, um, sunlight comes down, hits planet Earth, gets re-rated back up into the atmosphere, and these greenhouse gases have the ability to absorb that infrared radiation and shoot it back in all directions. And so methane's ability to do that or its rate of forcing is quite potent. Uh, It's more potent than 
CO2, actually. But methane is also short-lived, so it doesn't last in the atmosphere too long. So methane emitted from any given source will only be around in the atmosphere for roughly 10 or 12 years. And at that time, most of the methane will get oxidized. So methane, CH4, will actually get oxidized through a whole series of chemical reactions in the atmosphere to CO2. So it's kind of a, a part of a carbon cycle from a standpoint of, um, for example, ruminants, right? They're eating carbon that's captured by photosynthesis. They consume some of that carbon. Some of it gets emitted as methane. And then after a while, right, that methane will get oxidized to CO2 and it can be taken up by plants again, right, with photosynthesis. So basically cattle or other ruminants with this enteric methane are temporarily transforming that carbon to a higher potency greenhouse gas. Okay. Okay. And for a decade. And so yeah. when we think about that, does it change kind of strategies for reducing enteric methane or? Yeah. So that's why if, if folks are familiar, right, we've heard about things like the global methane pledge, for example, and there's an interest in trying to do stuff in the near term to lower methane emissions. And a big part of that is because it is short-lived in the atmosphere. And so basically the fruits of our labor, if we cut methane emissions, will show up in atmospheric concentrations faster. So that's a positive from a standpoint of what we do with methane if we decrease it. There's a potential there to show a climate impact in the near term relative to CO2. Um, but the same thing is true. If we increase methane emissions, then we're going to see that increase in warming faster as well. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. Mainly, it's just the short-lived nature makes methane more responsive to what we do in the atmosphere. Okay. Okay. So, like, say we leave giraffes out of this and we're just talking about, like, <laughs> like dairy cows and cattle. What are some ways that we can implement, like, right now to start reducing enteric methane emissions? Yeah. So, in the U.S., if we think about total contribution of enteric methane, it's about 3% of U.S. greenhouse gas emissions is enteric methane. Um, and a lot of that is coming from beef cattle and then dairy cattle as well. Um, so what can we do about it? So some of the things we already do in the beef industry help to cut methane emissions, and that is we finish cattle on grain-based diets. And so the forage to concentrate ratio, or meaning like the amount of hay or whole you know, silage, like the whole corn plant chopped up and fermented relative to corn grain, influences how much methane animals produce. So for example, um, we have animals right now that we're measuring at Colorado State where they were in a facility where we measure methane when they were eating a high forage diet, and now they're eating a high concentrate diet, and their methane emissions per unit of feed that they eat per pound of feed have actually been cut basically in half. Um, so that's one of those key ways that we can reduce methane emissions that we know now. We can also do things like feed um, supplemental fat. We can feed... Um, in some cases, ionophores can be effective. So these are um, tools that help alter rumen fermentation slightly and basically give less food for those methane-producing bugs to produce methane. Um, so those are some of the things that we can currently do. So there are ways for us to try to move the needle, but there's also lots of research happening on more uh, game-changing type of technologies, right? Are there things that we can use to target um, those methane-producing bugs more specifically? and try to get bigger reductions um, than our current baseline situation. Okay. I want to back up a little bit because you mentioned that um, the finishing process actually helps reduce methane. And I feel like feedlots sometimes get a bad rap. So that's sort of an interesting 
combination, you know, you have something that people see as kind of bad that actually does help with this emissions reduction. Can you talk me through that? Why is it that grain helps so much with cutting emissions? Yeah. So when we think about enteric methane specifically, um, it is basically a loss of feed calories that the animal eats. So they eat these, this energy, some of that energy gets lost as methane. Um, and when cattle are in a feed yard, they tend to be more efficient at gaining. And part of that is because they're losing less energy as methane, right? So it kind of comes down to the rumen fermentation pathways. So again, cattle, we feed cattle, but really we're feeding microbes when we feed them. Um, and when we feed more grain, we tend to get more of the fermentation end product that's called propionate or propionic acid. Um, it's a three carbon fatty acid. And that particular pathway within the rumen uses more uh, hydrogen gas or more electrons, basically. And that's important because that hydrogen sink aspect of propionate creates a competition between propionate production and methane production, because that's an alternative outlet is if, if there's not as much propionate being produced, then that hydrogen can go towards methanogenesis or methane production. So that, that's where it's fairly well, you know, well known and understood. We feed more grain, we get more propionate from these animals, we increase their energetic efficiency because of that. And as a byproduct of that, we didn't produce as much methane because more of the actual energy potential in the rumen is going to things that the animal can use rather than being blown off to the atmosphere. Right? So sometimes counter to what people think, they assume uh, you know, animals grazing must, must produce less methane, but that's not necessarily true. Yeah. Yeah. I know that was something that kind of surprised me when I started learning more about this. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. That, that efficiency, it just seems to all come, kind of come back to efficiency when you're talking about emissions. Yes. Yeah. It's very important. And how we, how we define efficiency, right? Cause there's, there's bigger than methane. There's lots of other inputs and outputs to consider in that whole scheme. But when we just think about methane, it's pretty clear, right? That if we feed more concentrate feeds, we do lower methane emissions from animals. That's very true. Yeah. From an economic perspective, is it also, I mean, I feel like that's kind of a fun byproduct. You also end up being more economical with feed toward the end. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a reason why, like, if you go to the grocery store and if you were to buy grass fed or grass finished, all, all beef is mostly grass fed, right? But if you buy grass finished beef relative to grain finished, it tends to be more expensive because it takes longer for those animals to get to harvest, right? Just because they're not growing as fast. And so there's, for the producer of that product, it, there's more cost for them, right? So it makes sense that they need to command a higher price for them to, uh, to make it, right? Make it make sense for them economically. Great. Yeah. So it's not the ones better or worse or whatever, right? It's all about consumer preference there, but it is, those fundamentals are pretty clear in terms of it will make the animals more efficient and it will lower costs for the whole system and lower methane emissions when we do grain finishing. Perfect. Okay. Um, just to round out here, I kind of want to do sort of like a, like a pros and cons. Um, what are the challenges right now to reducing enteric emissions? Yeah. So a few different things, right? One is just finding technical solutions that work. So there are some products that are promising out there um, that target some of the enzymes in that methane production process and can lower methane emissions. So um, it's not yet approved in the United States, but there's a compound called 3-nitroxypropanol or the commercial name will be Bovair. Um, and that consistently shows reductions in methane emissions 
But the challenge there is finding more solutions like that that work across many different diet types of animals. And then from there, there's a whole host of other challenges. One is trying to think about how do we deliver these technical solutions on farm? So that um, product I just mentioned, Bovair, um, works pretty well when it's in a complete mixed feed for animals. So when we're feeding animals every day and feeding their ration to them or their diet to them. But most of the methane in the United States comes from grazing animals that are not being fed feed, right? They're grazing. So how do we deliver um, methane inhibition solutions to grazing animals, right? That's a key question. Another big part of it is the economics of it, right? So maybe we find a great solution, it works, but the cost of the producer is so high that it makes no economic sense for them to use it, right? So how do we technically, you know, deliver a solution, but then also economically incentivize it so it can scale and actually make a difference, right, in terms of total methane coming from the cattle industry? So if we're sitting here today and enteric methane is 3% of U.S. greenhouse gas emissions, how do we get it down to, say, 2%, right? What would it take to cut it by a third? It would take a lot of effort, right, and a lot of um, funding and technical um, hurdles need to be overcome to get there. Yeah. Yeah. On the flip side, I guess you mentioned 3NOP or Bovair. Um, Are there other opportunities you see coming up or areas of research people should keep an eye on? Yeah, so we, of course, are doing research at Colorado State. One is just collecting a lot of baseline information from animals on different diet types, different genetics of animals. So we see one promising, more long-term solution is genetic selection for less methane production. So we see animals that are fairly similar in animal performance, meaning they gain similarly in terms of body weight per day. They're similar body size. And yet there's animals that make you know, 30% more methane than expected given those production parameters, right? Or vice versa, produce 30% less, right, relative to their peers. And so that variation for us is an exciting opportunity because if we can create genetic selection opportunities, then we don't have to worry about delivering a feed additive, right, out on the range. We can just, um, over the course of several generations, right, select animals that naturally produce less methane. So that's that's a big opportunity. Um, And then on the feed additive and feed, manipulation side, there's just many other opportunities to really investigate the methanogens that are there, the methane producing bugs, understand their metabolism, and then come up with solutions that really target some of those species in effective ways, right? So ultimately, I just say we're just early days on this. And part of the limitation is there hasn't been that much funding in the space. And the research scale limitations of being able to test things at scale, um, like the facility that we have at CSU Ag Next, to do that is, is kind of been lacking, right? So hopefully over the next several years, we'll be able to accelerate that technology curve. Great. Yeah. And then my last question for you, Sarah, what, what keeps you going with this research? What excites you the most? Yeah, I think the key thing there is the ability to do this now at scale, right? So for me, that was a big driver to come back to academia is the ability to test these things out in a way that is relevant to production systems that are out there in the world um, and, and think about it more holistically, if not just a technical solution, but thinking about the economics, thinking about the practical delivery of solutions to producers. Um and making sure it always makes economic sense. So for me, that's always been a passion. And so that's that's really what keeps me going in this space. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. 
Thanks for tuning in. That was today's show. If you want to learn more about enteric methane or Sarah's research, check out the show notes. And if you have questions about carbon and ecosystem services you want to see answered, drop us a line at info at decode6.org. That's decode6 with the number 6. Finally, come visit us at decode6.org to see a whole new suite of content about sustainable dairy production. Thank you so much to Dairy Management Incorporated. Their generous support has made this podcast possible.